With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly and Kevin Laramie here to discuss everything that's gone on in the past couple of days since the Chinese Grand Prix. Kevin, welcome back. How's it going? Doing pretty good. Uh, I finally got a chance to catch the uh, Chinese Grand Prix. You know, the Chinese Grand Prix was tough for me on the East Coast because it was like, what, 3 a.m., 4 a.m. by the time the Grand Prix <laughs> was done. And I was like, I was trying, I was trying. But uh, my significant other is a singer and she had a big solo in the morning. So I had to, uh, ah. I had to, to, to tap out and watch the rest on my DVR. But, uh, but no, another one, two by the Mercs and three in a row. And, uh, it is a bit more interesting than just the, Mercedes domination, but uh, no, uh, heading into Baku, not this weekend, the weekend after, which uh, may be a chance of seeing an interesting race. Uh, Baku always gives you an interesting race, but uh, I mean, result-wise, maybe uh, the Red Bulls or Ferrari finally gets their, their act together. Well, you know, it is interesting because we're only three races into the season and there was a lot of uh, hope uh, before we actually got going in Australia several weeks ago that what with the uh, the results that we saw in in testing that this would finally be the year that uh, Ferrari might be actually a step ahead of uh, for, uh, Mercedes but it, it's turned out to be anything but that they were seriously lacking pace in Australia and then uh through some well mechanical problems and then uh, a driver issue like uh, that uh, that Sebastian Vettel had in uh, Bahrain and then we go to uh, China this past weekend again, just not having the same pace as, as uh, the, the two Mercedes cars. And so now it's almost looking a little bit like the uh, what we saw in testing is almost like a little bit of a, a false positive. It, it seemed that everybody was really up and high on on Ferrari, but now it's seen a little, seeming like a little bit like fake news, you know, <laughs> now that the season's actually going and the, the order's kind of reestablished itself. And, you know, honestly, Kevin, I think that if you're in Ferrari right now, I think you've got to be pretty worried if you're Mattia Bonato and company. The thing is, is I think the pace is there. I think they have a, the potential to have a very good car for Ferrari. But I don't think the best people in Formula One work for Ferrari. And no offense, they'll, they'll get there. But it's still a work in progress, I believe. And uh, mixed with bag tactics, uh, team order is now the controversy. And we'll, we'll get to that. But I think Leclerc is going to shake things up. You know, the, the kid's fast. And uh, he's going to continue to push the status quo. He's not going to take it. He's going to be very classy about it. But he might, he might just overtake Vettel on the track. And <laughs> what else can, can Sebastian do? But uh, anyway, anyways, I think it's that's where the key is, is reliability. I think this is where Renault, Red Bull... And Honda and Ferrari are going to have a big battle of uh, trying to be reliable and fast at the same time, because Mercedes, quite, quite frankly, they after three one two, we have to say they're reliable and they're fast. Even though they they did have yeah. some scare here and there, Lewis Hamilton was complaining about uh, some noise here and there during uh, the race in Bahrain, if I remember. Uh, but it is a domination right now because of the. The, the pace of, of the Mercs, but liability as well. And that's going to be the battle for Ferrari that they need to fix quickly. Well, yeah, I mean, it will be interesting, like you say, when we go to Baku in two weeks' time, because they were really, really looking good in, in Bahrain in the desert. 
And then you, you come to uh, Shanghai a couple of weeks later, and it's like, this doesn't look like the same team, doesn't look like the same car, and it seemed like they'd actually regressed. And, of course, you have to kind of take it with a pinch of salt because these have been three very different kinds of uh, racetracks. And, and Ferrari's typically been good at, in, in Bahrain over the past couple of years, but it was just obvious all weekend long that they were just lacking. Uh, they, they just did not have the, uh, the the pace to match the Mercedes cars. And it just seemed like right from that that very first moment uh, after the race started and it was Hamilton and Bottas 1-2 into the first corner, it just felt like that was the way that it was going to go. And and Vettel almost, uh, I, I think, got a little bit caught out and was almost a, a victim of his own success because he got off the line pretty good and then was uh, slowed and hindered to a certain extent by, uh, by Bottas who blamed uh, a white line and lack of traction uh, on that uh, circuit for, for getting away not quite as fast. Uh, fast as everyone around him and that just uh, allowed Charles Leclerc to, to sneak in front of him and I, I thought it was kind of interesting I guess we we can get right into it uh, about the team orders because it seemed there for a while that uh, Leclerc might have actually been impeding and holding up Sebastian Vettel and I mean at this point is anybody really surprised does anybody bat an eye whenever Ferrari issue team orders I mean, of of, of all the shouldn't. teams out there in, in Formula One, I mean, it's pretty much expected, especially <laughs> when you're the guy that's got less than 30 races in Formula One to your name, and uh, you're holding up a, a guy that's a, a four-time world champion, and for the moment, the undisputed number one guy in your team. So you just knew that call was going to come, and I kind of <laughs> like some of the clumsy <laughs> explanations that Ferrari has put out there, and some of the interpretations, and some of the comments about there, but... The thing that I found interesting was that it it wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting Vettel to maybe pull away from him, but it wasn't really that at all. It was just like they basically reversed track position because he ended up – it was almost like a carbon copy of uh, what, what the situation was when Charles was in front. <laughs> well, that's the thing is Charles is, is pushing the Ferrari almost to its limit, so there's only so much – more Sebastian could have done at that moment, and we saw it when Leclerc was told, okay, let Sebastian through, Sebastian's going to have a go at it, and basically was not gaining on on anyone, and uh, Leclerc was gaining a bit on Vettel, but not like significantly, so it was like a moot point, it was like, yeah, well, it didn't work, we tried, but Vettel couldn't gain any time and uh it was what it was but with the team order and the reliability the problem with the clag you know he should have won a race and and we all know what's happened in bahrain uh, because of reliability and they've changed it and you know giovanazzi didn't change it that's the thing alfa romeo because uh of the complication uh, that it would have done to change the entirety of the thing to, to fix the MGUK and to, to fix the problem of the Ferrari uh, uh, suspension, I believe it was. Anyways, it would have been too much work, so Alfa Romeo didn't, and Giovinazzi cost him a, a lot of, uh, of time and uh, a race, basically. But yeah, just to go back on the Ferrari, Mark, I do feel the client is going to continue, though, to, to be fast. And there's not going to be a big difference. And we shouldn't be surprised of the team orders. It started, what, over 20 years ago. It started, what, 22 years ago with uh, Michael Schumacher, with Eddie Irvine, both at Ferrari. Yeah, can you imagine if Eddie Irvine would try to overtake Michael Schumacher? Yeah, no, that would have never happened. That would have never, have never fly. But uh, I guess Charles Leclerc is going to show people why Ferrari decided to, to sign him. It's the youngest driver in forever, right? That's signed for Ferrari. So he's going to be fast. He's going to continue to push Vettel, to push the status quo, to not necessarily always do what he's told because he's he's an F1 driver and he wants to race. And I want to see a guy who wants to race. And, you know, it's going to be a fun season. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think yeah, you make a very good uh, point there, just uh, harking back to years gone by with Ferrari. And I think team orders, I think, go back even further than that. I mean, the p political things in Ferrari almost seem to go hand in hand. But I, I think that uh, the, the difference between, say, Charles and, and, and Michael Schumacher, for example, is Michael was just brash and would just do whatever he wanted and just charge his way through. Whereas Charles, I think, is a little bit more measured and a little bit more restrained and maybe just being maybe a little bit younger maybe a little bit more 
aware of his situation, <coughs> excuse me, is that uh, he might be uh, a little bit more polite about it. Uh, whereas uh, Schumacher was just like, you know, whatever, I'm just going to, I'm here to win. And he would just uh, do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, as long as uh, he was uh, doing what he felt he, he needed to do. But it, it is kind of interesting what uh, Benato was saying afterwards, saying that the, 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 the decision to sw- uh, switch the two drivers when they did wasn't meant to benefit uh, Sebastian Vettel. So <laughs> it kind of makes me wonder. Well, if that wasn't the uh, the, the the what 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 the what the point was, then what was it? I mean, he was saying that uh, it was all to do with the the undercuts and everything that uh, uh, that they were worried about with uh, with Max Verstappen, and of course that's what they did try, and it, it almost nearly worked uh, for Verstappen because when he went in for his pit stop. Vettel very quickly went in uh, the the very next lap and then got uh, held up uh, behind some slower uh, slower car in front of him. I can't remember who it was at the moment, but was anybody really surprised that uh, Verstappen tried to make that pass on Sebastian Vettel at the end of that very long back straightaway? Because I sure wasn't, and Sebastian wasn't uh, too surprised about it as well. And 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 this time, I think compared to like last year, I think he was a lot more aware and really yeah. expected it to happen, and gave Max a bit of a wide berth because you just knew he was going to make a lunge down the inside, which is exactly what he did last year. But last year, of course, he collected Sebastian Vettel, and 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 this time, I think there was no question that even though the Ferrari was slower than the Mercedes, it was quicker than the Red Bull, and all he had to do was just made sure that uh, when Max made his move, just stay out of the way and then just uh, wait a couple of corners and then just uh, pass him again as soon as you get the opportunity and that's uh, that, that's exactly what he did Max is getting not I wouldn't say predictable but we know he's going to attack right you live the you let you give the guy an inch of space and he's going to try to dive in and take over and uh, take the take the spot on the track so if you're Vettel, you can almost use that to your advantage, and it's uh, it's what we've seen a bit. So, you know, it's interesting too. Once you know that Vettel and Verstappen, they do have a relationship on the track, right? They've ran into each other. Both of each other have been mad at each other. Have all said uh, crazy things on the radio about each other. So now you know. You know what you're working with, and uh, I think it shows. Uh, maturity for Vettel for once uh, that you know you you do give the space and you you know you know Verstappen is not going to compromise so you might have you to compromise yourself but in the long run is going to be beneficial to you yeah well I mean you're correct in the sense that uh, Max is getting predictable in a way but that's just the way that Max is you give you leave an inch of uh, extra space and he's going to go and try and make a, a move to pass you every single time. Uh, this time, like, he's, like you say, I think that uh, Vettel was much more me- uh, measured and wise and just knew that he has the faster car and that although temporarily it might uh, slow him down, I think he was uh, recognizing the fact, well, you know, I'm not going to catch uh, Bottas or Hamilton today, so let's just, uh, you know, keep things clean. Let let Max do what he's going to do. I'll catch him when I can and just try and get uh, the, the points that I can on the day and then worry about it again uh, in two weeks when we go to the next race. And I, I think just in general, I think that even though it wasn't really a glamorous, flashy race by Sebastian Vettel and even uh, Charles Leclerc, I mean, I think they did what they needed to do, even though it wasn't glamorous. I mean, we, we've been talking about it uh, for years and years and years uh, on the show that uh, Formula One is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And we're only a couple of races into a 21 race season. So excuse me, we still have 18 races to go. So between now and the end of the year, anything can happen. They might get these uh, problems, these issues uh, sorted out with the car, and they might finally be able to deliver the potential that uh, that they hinted at in, in winter testing. And so having said that, that even though it wasn't a flashy and memorable and fantastic drive from Sebastian Vettel, he did what he needed to do. He maximized the amount of points he was going to get. He kept clean and, you know, you just take what you can get and go home and try again in two weeks time. Yeah, I, I agree. And we'll, we'll see what happens in, in Baku. And I think that's where it gets fascinating is if Ferrari can finally use the pace that we believe they do have. And, uh, after winter testing, we, we all thought the Mercs were, a bit slower than they were, but uh, 
Is it because they're overtaxing their car? We'll see if they do have issues in the future. And that's the one thing that might happen too, is what if the the small issue that uh, Lewis Hamilton was worried at some point in Australia or Bahrain, what if actually becomes an issue in Baku that there's it's a street circuit, but it's fascinating. It's a street circuit that is demanding. There's a big stop and go and very close to the walls and if you if you miss an apex at one point on the track and at the worst point you might actually hit the wall and your race is over combine that with potential problems so for me it's going to be a fascinating race in what 10 days nine days from now by the time people are listening to this so no, it is fascinating, but I wouldn't discount Ferrari for this one. I think we're going to see Ferrari coming out guns blazing, and I think this is where it's different than last year. Last year, Ferrari was a team that, no offense, but was lacking direction, was lacking leadership at the top, and I thought with the, the passing of Sergio Marconi, of course, the passing led uh, Ferrari a bit astray. And uh, Arriva Bene wasn't the man to fix the situation. And I think so far from what we've seen from Binotto, he does seem to be a bit more pragmatical and a bit more understanding. It's about potential. It's about building. It's about continuing to have growth day in, day out, and making sure that they reestablish the standard of Ferrari and you, you you would never imagine Ferrari making those big mistakes in the pits or in the setup of a car like in Australia back in the Michael Schumacher days, right? Ferrari had a high standard of accountability and a high standard of uh, making sure there's no no failures and mistakes and everybody's trained perfectly in the pits. And I think it's lacking a bit of this, maybe with Bonotto, they're finally going to reestablish those standards and not make those silly mistakes that cost them the championship last year. And hopefully we do see that on Ferrari's part uh, as soon as Baku. Absolutely, Kevin. And you touched on a couple really interesting uh, topics there that I want to pick up and uh, just dive a little deeper on. And uh, we'll do that in a moment. So we're just going to break quickly for a uh, station identification and a word from our sponsors. Don't go away. Passion drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to Scuderia F1 podcast, and uh, it's Mark and Kevin here as usual, and we're just uh, talking about, well, the, the state of affairs at uh, Ferrari and what we've seen over the past uh, couple of races. And Kevin, you were saying just before the break there that the the issues that we've seen with Ferrari, especially since the the end of last summer, like you said, it was lacking leadership and a bit of uh, direction. And I, I think that was really evident, uh, d- despite all the the, the problems that uh, Sebastian Vettel had on the track and the, the problems that they had on the pit wall. I think that um, as many errors as he made, and I mean, he has to own all the things that uh, that that went wrong last year, and I, I'm I'm sure he does 100%. But to me when you look at formula one compared to other sports it just looked to, to to me at times this looks like the star player that really needs the the guiding hand and the calming influence uh, of a coach and 
uh, or, or a mentor, what, whatever it is, some, some kind of a, a figure to really get his head focused and, and pointed straight. And, and that was really, I think, a, a problem as, uh, you know, throughout the year last year, uh, what, whatever happened on and off the track. I mean, there was always questions and, and comments made about every time Vettel had a coming together with somebody during a race. But as many problems he, as he had on the track, there were questionable things that went on the uh, on the pit wall just in terms of tactics and strategies and reacting to different things things that happened uh, throughout the race and and sometimes they they, they got it right but just as uh, often they didn't and when uh, <clears throat> excuse me when they came back from the summer break and that's when really things started to change and start to go downhill from there so th- there is obviously that uh, that that aspect to it in the fact that they they have a lot of work to do with the car with the team with the drivers and everything like that so i mean bonato has his work cut out for him in a multitude and and, and a variety of ways and that that's why i think that maybe um, vettel should get a little bit more credit uh, for the race that he had on on sunday i mean like i say it wasn't flashy or glamorous but it, it it showed to me it looked like a guy that was a little bit more back in the right headspace, uh, reacting the way that he should. But you know, again, you just have to know at some point that uh, Red Bull was going to try something with the undercut, and I, I think what uh, what Ferrari did was the, the the right thing. Bring Sebastian in right away. It wasn't as audacious and as bold as the double stack that uh, Mercedes tried later in the race, and and I love to see uh, things like that. I mean, it worked for uh, Red Bull last year when they did the same thing with uh, Ricardo and Verstappen. Unfortunately for Verstappen, he had that uh, coming together with uh, with Vettel later in the race, but. Sometimes that's what uh, what you need to do because it kind of became apparent that even though uh, uh, Bottas was uh, the, the the one that Vettel had a you know a, a bit of a shot to catch it uh, to me it seemed like he need a little a bit of help uh, to do so to move up uh, from third place to second place at the podium on uh, you know during the course of the race that uh, that 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 double stack is something that uh, Mercedes just did and it, and it worked and, and the timing was absolutely perfect and and that's something that I think that's uh, Ferrari to me their their strategy always seems to be a little bit too conservative their tactics seem to be almost a little bit too predictable and um, well I mean Mercedes are very measured as well but I mean Red Bull always seem to be the ones that to, tend to be a little bit more bold that's why I think for yeah. me it was surprising to see Mercedes go for the double stack but certainly it just, you know, no pun intended, stacked the odds in their favor that <laughs> at the end of the day, yeah. they were going to have the uh, one-two finish, right? But it also tells me that uh, Mercedes might know something that we don't and that the gap might be closer than we think and closer than the results have shown so far after three races. So if you are still fearful of your opponent, mm-hmm. you would react the way the Mercs did react. So... So that that is that does bode well for us viewers for the spectacle of Formula One for the entertainment purposes and you have we have to be fair so far in 2019 the races have been uh, quite hectic and fun to watch and overtaken has been we've been seeing a bit more overtaking I don't I don't have the stats in front of me and maybe I'm wrong but I think yeah. We have seen a bit more overtaking, so this has been fun, and I'm looking forward to uh, Baku for for that reason. This track, it, it is those not that wide, so maybe uh, with the wider cars, we we won't see those great overtaking. But uh, it is for me that that aspect is it's Ferrari missing tactics, missing a bit of uh, I, I I wouldn't say be able to extrapolate and predict the future, but they are missing maybe someone with a vision. And, you know, Sebastian Vettel has never won without Christian Horner. Like, never won a championship without Christian Horner. Maybe they need their own Christian Horner. Maybe they need to find someone that does have that type of special relationship with Sebastian Vettel. And Sebastian Vettel, when he came into Ferrari, was giving the keys to the kingdom but not given the senior advisor. And he's missing that, I think. And that that does explain a lot. Well, I mean, you look at like any great uh, pairing or, or situation in sports. I mean, take the New England Patriots, for example. Bill Belichick and, and, and Tom Brady. I mean, uh, you can't tell me that when things have gone wrong for the Patriots uh, or for things for, for Tom Brady that uh, Belichick hasn't been in his ear and, and doing what he needed to do as a coach to get his star player 
uh, focused and and doing what he needed to do. And I, I think that's what that sets Formula One apart from other elite level sports is that these guys don't really have. Uh, I mean, they've got their like um, all sorts of advisors and, and and different experts here and there, but. It's really tough, I think, when, you know, you're one of the 20 best drivers in the world, supposedly. I mean, that's what Formula One is supposed to be all about. Who are you going to get to coach you? <laughs> you know, I mean, that that's the thing. Like, who's going to be there and help you refine your your driving style, or or give you the advice and the um the, the words that you need to know when you're you're going through a tough season like Sebastian Vettel was in 2018, and that's what it, what what I find you know very very interesting. But you know, equally, what what I find uh, is interesting is the 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 struggles that Ferrari find themselves in right now is that, uh, like you say about the in regards to the double stack pit stop that Mercedes made in the in the race that maybe is, is a hint that uh, that they think that the gap is closer than uh, that than you know maybe the rest of us are appreciating because even though that they've had their problems you know Hamilton has still been coming out and and he said things repeatedly not not all the time but a handful of times over the past uh, month or two and and recently over the past couple of days he said that he believes that Ferrari are not extracting their full potential so it, it it's interesting when you hear Lewis say something like that, and I don't think he's just—it's lip service—and he's just saying what we want to hear, or what people are thinking. I think that they truly have um, that respect towards that Ferrari. That I think they must feel that if they can get it together and if they can get things uh, pointed in the right direction, that they're going to be in for a real fight. And that's what they were really talking about. And maybe that's what they were expecting um, going into the season after the couple of tests that we saw at Barcelona. And um, it will be interesting to see if Ferrari can actually do it, if they can get it turned around sooner rather than later, because I mean, if if it continues to go the way that it has for Mercedes over the past couple of races, I mean, they're, they're the first team since 1992 to have a one-two finish uh, in, in the first three races. And 1992 was the, the the season that was completely dominated by Nigel Mansell, Ricardo Patrese, and the William Renault cars. And Mansell had the, the world championship wrapped up that season. It was a shorter season by uh, several races uh, by the time they got to Hungary. So... Could it happen? Sure. Guys like uh, Ross Braun are saying it probably won't happen and he doesn't think it's going to happen. But uh, certainly Ferrari, if they want to make a season out of it and take the fight to Ferrari, they got to tur- get it turned around sooner rather than later. Because if we're talking about it in in August, it's going to be way too late. But certainly I think it is a concern for Mercedes and uh, that uh, – I, I think right now they must be uh, approaching it from the point of view that if Ferrari can get the full potential out of their car, like Hamilton is saying, is that uh, things might uh, turn around in a hurry. So I think they might be trying to to build up a comfy and he- healthy buffer should they find themselves uh, mired in a tighter battle once uh, the, the Scuderia get it uh, figured out. Uh, yeah, that would be a good strategy. And I think the Scuderia is not that far away, right? They're, they're just maybe one bad decision from the Burks or one bad luck or one uh, failure away from a good result. And if it wasn't for reliability late in a race, Charles Leclerc would have won, don't forget. So I uh, would have won in Bahrain. So that would have been a moot point and it would have been yep. a totally different yep. championship, right? So let's not forget that point. So I think this is why... The Mercs are still worried, and we see this by their action, not just by their comments during races. And I think that's why we're going to be uh, having a good championship, because I think the Red Bulls are going to come and be the troublemakers in that relationship and and come in and win when we don't expect. And then you deflect a bit, the, the points get spread around and you don't have a team with as big as an advantage but it needs to start soon because just another or two of those one two and well the constructor championship would have been wrapped up pretty much so i think it needs to start now so if we want a interesting world championship please someone other than a merc 
when in Baku. <laughs> well, you know, it, it is funny that uh, that old adage in sports that uh, when you're hot, you're hot, and when you're not, you're not. And it was just uh, such a cruel finish, I think, for 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 Ferrari a couple weeks ago in Bahrain. They they dominated the entire weekend. It looked like uh, they got everything sorted out, and Charles Leclerc was looking like a rock star out there. <laughs> And they they looked like they were odds on to uh, to, to to finish with a one two finish there and, and take it back to Mercedes after a, a disappointing opening race in Australia, and then first of all you have uh, Sebastian Vettel has a, a spin when he's trying to pass Hamilton picks up the flat spot on his tire, the wing shakes itself off of the front and then you know his race is pretty much done and any hopes of a podium are. are, are basically blowing away in the desert air there. And then, of course, uh, like you were saying, then uh, Charles has that problem with his car. And then had it not been for that timely safety car at the end, he probably would have made the podium either. So there are uh, th- there are hints at uh, what Ferrari can do. And uh, certainly that if they can get it figured out, it, it will be uh, it-, it could be exciting. And 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 we've already touched on it briefly. We've uh, we talked about uh, Baku. And I mean, I'm always a little bit kind of skeptical. I shouldn't say skeptical, but I always wonder whenever they introduce a new race, a new circuit to, to Formula One, whether it will ever really live up to the hype. And I wasn't really sure what to expect from from Baku when they, they, they brought it onto the calendar a couple of years ago. I mean, I'll, I'll be 100% honest. I'm not really a big fan of the street circuits. I mean, Monaco's a bit different because it's kind of, well, it, it's historic, it's unique. Take the history I mean, you've away. Got the history about it, right? But take it away, and Monaco is the most boring Grand Prix of them all. Take the well, glitz it, and glamour exactly. away, and Monaco is just boring. Baku's yeah. like Baku's fascinating, and if you have the chance to to play F1 2018, one of our sponsors last year, Mark, I actually playing this week, and I've been going around Baku, and it's a challenging circuit. Like if you don't pay attention at that one point where you got a big nine degrees turn to the left, and it's really tight, uh, you might just clip the right wing off your car, and if not the right wheel so it's a very challenging circuit but there's a big straightaway that you can actually exploit the power of your engine too so it is interesting in how it was constructed this grand prix and the track so i agree with you usually road circuit are boring because there's no space and it's not made for it and there's no grip so the drivers don't feel comfortable overtaking but this year the cars do have grip there's grip at Baku because it's it's a new surface. It's just a few years old, and you do have the great long straight away, not that straight. It turns a bit, but it's almost like the length of the entire track. So no, it it is a fun track to watch. It definitely, and it, it really is interesting. I mean, in the the couple of years that we've seen there, there's been plenty of drama. We had uh, Sebastian Vettel smashing into Lewis Hamilton one year, and last year we had uh, Daniel Ricciardo and. Max Verstappen crashing into each other at turn one and we've seen plenty of other moments with the teammates taking each other out or cars hitting the walls and some interesting and exciting uh, passing overtaking uh, um, uh, moments. So it's it's been a fun track and I mean not to mention when you go around the back there you get that really tight and windy and twisty section. I always wonder are they going to make it through that narrow section around the back of the castle or is somebody going to crash into those stone walls and break their car but We can talk about that and plenty more after we take this uh, quick break, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back to the show. And uh, Kevin, there's still plenty of other things uh, to talk about. Uh, just before we get away uh, from uh, you know China and and look at some of the other things uh, in in the in the news this week, I had to find it uh, a little bit uh, interesting that. Uh, when it came to all the fallout and all the discussion about uh, team orders and everything uh, that, uh, that that was was discussed after the Chinese Grand Prix, I thought it was uh, funny that um, Total Wolf of Mercedes said that uh, Ferrari team orders uh, risk 
opening a, a can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> where, 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 I mean, obviously Mercedes isn't quite as bad as a Ferrari, but I mean, they drew a lot of flack last year after the uh, the, the Russian Grand Prix when they uh, told Valtteri Bottas, who was typically run very well at uh, the Sachi Autodrome the past couple of years and looked like he was going to win that race. And was uh, told to, to to pull over and let uh, Lewis Hamilton pass, but you know that was just kind of one, one of those uh, news items that uh, that made me chuckle <laughs> when I saw it uh, the, yeah. you know, a couple of days ago. You know, memory is a is a sense that forgets. And uh, for Total Wolf, I think he forgets the time where Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton were battling each other for the championship, and. Uh, yep took each other out and it was really close of team orders and it was a big subject of controversy and nothing even happened so uh, i think it's the the kettle calling the sheep black or whatever that expression is uh but for, <laughs> for for total wolf it's easy to say when it's not you and it's kind of fun to just deflect the story and be like oh yeah it's them and it could be a problem but it's it's them no one's talking about us no one's talking about how we have two potential world championship drivers in our team right now and you know if Botas continues this new attitude this big bad Botas I think we're gonna call him uh, that does have a attitude and well pace and well so far so good so no I think we're gonna have ourselves some fun times and the Mercs are really happy that everyone's talking about Ferrari or their team orders because they can just continue to slowly Rag the points and the victories. Yeah, and uh, you know, Bodas, you know, to, to be quite honest, has uh, impressed me over the past uh, couple of races. I know that uh, that Bahrain maybe wasn't uh, as good as the past couple, and it, it, he certainly does have a bit of a more, uh, I don't know, ruthless kind of focused, razor sharp approach uh, to this year. Because I mean, he is basically auditioning for a, a job in twenty twenty and beyond. And Toto set that bar awfully high, saying that he had to perform at least as good as uh, as Lewis Hamilton, and and uh, and he's done that. It's just a shame from his point of view that uh, that he had such a bad start and, and lost that time at the beginning of the race. Because I kind of wonder, you know, if he'd actually managed to maintain that first position and uh, and stay in front of his teammate, and if he was the one leading the pack of cars, would he have been the one that uh, that would have been able to? Uh, to, to actually go on and w- win that race or would Hamilton have uh, caught him up at some point or would they have uh, been able to work something with the, uh, with the pit stop to, to put Hamilton in front. I mean, there's all, all sorts of things, but uh, definitely it, it looks good on him. And well, I mean, what other options would they have if they weren't uh, going to bring, uh, bring Valtteri Botas back? I mean, there was another story out there this, uh, the, this week that uh, Max Verstappen was uh, laughing things off that, that uh, that apparently there was some report that came out that uh, <laughs> yeah, Total Wolf that. apparently calls him. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. Uh, calls him a, you know, like a repeatedly a or, something or something like that. Yeah, like yeah. once a month. But, uh, you know, this is just like uh, for some reason Max Verstappen attracts a lot of uh, gossip and paparazzi. So uh, I think it's uh, it falls in that column. But, you know, Esteban Ocon is looking for a drive, and uh, he's now learning behind the scenes with Mercs as their reserve driver. Can you go to, from reserve driver to to the driver number two next to Lewis Hamilton? I don't know, but you need to think about one thing, too. Lewis Hamilton's contract is all the way up to 2020. Do they extend it? Will he want to extend? Does he uh, want to retire, or does he want to move on, do other things, or... What's going to happen? And who's the teammate? Who do you choose? And does it have a consequence of, like, does it matter if you, you believe someone's going to take over for, for Lewis Hamilton as number one driver of Mercedes? Do you choose the backup driver next year with that in mind? Or you bring the backup next year with one year next to Hamilton and the guy takes over the year after, you know, so Esteban Ocon could be a choice. Uh, so, so there's a lot to think about when you look at the future of the driver lineup. Next year, it could probably be the same as this year where they just re-signed both us for one more year. I, I see this as a very a likely scenario. But for 2020 and after, you have to think, what do you want for the future? And are you going to go away from Lewis Hamilton? Because that day is going to come. 
one day. It might not be in 2020, might be maybe down the road, but it's going to happen one day. Well, yeah, I, I think a lot of uh, what's going to happen with Lewis Hamilton depends on what Formula One is going to look like in, in 2021 and, and what happens between now and then. If he manages uh, to win a couple more world championships, which is obviously very possible and, and perhaps likely that, uh, that he could be a seven-time world champion by the time his, uh, his contract ends, then he might, uh, might just say, you know what, guys, I've, uh, I've got nothing left to prove. <laughs> I, I mean, does he have anything to, to left to prove at this point? I mean, he's been the best driver and the best car and the best team for the past several years. And I mean, the, the, the stats and the wins and, and, and the, the world championships, both individual and as a team, I mean, they, they speak for himself. So, I mean, as much as we focus on the the, the, the pressure and the, uh, the the work that uh, the Bottas has to to keep his drive at Mercedes, I think the linchpin obviously has to be Lewis Hamilton in, in, in what he decides to do. I mean, obviously he's not getting any younger. I mean, he's not an old guy by by any step of or any stretch of the imagination. But is he really going to want to continue? And if he doesn't want to continue. <laughs> who are you going to get to uh, re- replace him? Do you go and swoop in and just uh, basically offer Max Verstappen a blank check and just tell him to fill in what he wants? Uh, do you stick with the, with Valtteri Bota? You know, there, there are so many different options, so many different things, and I'm sure that must weigh on Toto Wolff's mind uh, late at night when he's wondering what's happening with his team for next weekend and next month and next year. And also uh, in, in the years down the road. So it, it is kind of interesting. I think when you see stories like that uh, about uh, Max Verstappen kind of laughing it off. Oh, yeah, Toto doesn't even have my number or whatever whatever the response was. But on, on the flip side, I can very well picture a scenario in my mind that uh, that, that Toto could be making some sort of back channel or casual comments to uh, to Max. Say, hey, you know, Max, call me. Let's talk uh, sort of thing. Because if, uh, like you say, if, if Lewis walks away, I mean, it's going to really change uh, Formula One. I mean, I'm sure there are 19 other guys in Formula One that want to get into that, uh, that, that seat if it opens up. Oh, yeah. And at that point, we'll, we'll have people like Olkenberg or... Or other, depending of the result of the next few years, uh, we'll be like, okay, well, it's my it's my time, or I don't know, we'll we'll, we'll see, or maybe Charles Leclerc, after battling with Vettel with the same car, is going to have, you know, that that could possibly be one thing too, or a Gasly, or you know, you never know what can happen, but it, it is down the road in the future, and for now, I think we're still in for a good championship. I think the dominance is just temporary. And I do feel Ferrari are going to get their act together. Red Bull are going to get their few few wins this season just to make it interesting. And I think we're going to see the rise of the midfield a bit more. And I think Renault is struggling right now, yes. Mm-hmm. But I think they might be able to... You know, Renault always evolves greatly. They don't always design good things, but they usually evolve and adapt quickly. So I think by the end of the year, we'll we'll see Renault at least get better results than right now. But uh, I think Racing Point, I think Haas and McLaren are going to have an interesting battle in the midfield. And uh, we all know where Williams is going to be. (laughs) Yeah, sadly, they're going to still be uh, right at the back. But... As good as things have been uh, for Mercedes over the the opening couple of uh, races, and as much as we've been talking about how disappointing and how much Ferrari have uh, underwhelmed to a, a certain a certain extent over the first three races, yeah, that that's obviously one of the stories that's going to get coverage. I mean, as far as Red Bull is, I think they're pretty much right around where I would have hoped or expected them to be right now because. Uh, there was always going to be that question that, well, where are they going to be once they part ways with Renault and they actually get these Honda engines into the back of their cars? And they're still pretty much exactly where they left off with Renault. And I I think that's, even though in the short term that might be a a bit frustrating and disappointing for some of their fans, you have to think that, well, you know, this isn't a bad situation. They're they're no worse off right now than the they were last year with uh, Renault and and this weekend for once 
we saw the the the, the fact that uh, the Pierre Gasly had a better race. I mean, uh, Max finished in in fourth place. Gasly was quite a bit uh, further back, but uh, he finished in sixth, which I would expect that uh, you know wh- wherever Max finishes up. That, uh, that that Gasly, if he's doing what he needs to do, should be a place or two behind Max once uh, you know the, the the lights go off and the the checkered flag is uh, waved. So that certainly was uh, good for good for him. I mean, Renault though. I mean, honestly, let let's we, we got to just call it like it is. They they've been disappointing through the first uh, couple of races. I mean, uh, they they just didn't really do all that well in uh, Australia. Of course. Danny Ricardo didn't help himself by hitting that uh, manhole or whatever it was <laughs> yeah. when he had that little off moment just at the start of the race and went onto the the, the, the track. But certainly that uh, moment that they had where both of their cars retired and uh, had mechanical failures almost at the exact same time in Bahrain a couple of weeks ago uh, was not a, a shining moment for them. And of course, Hulkenberg, he had the same problem uh, again this uh, weekend where the car let him down. Ricardo finally uh, got a finish and uh, he got he got a P7, which is good. He got some points, but uh, what we're seeing from Renault right now isn't really really adding a lot of justification to uh, Danny Ricardo's decision to uh, jump from Red Bull yeah. over to, to to Renault. So they've got a lot to a lot more to prove in my mind because I think that uh, although they've obviously come a long ways from where they were when they uh, took over, Re- or sorry, not Renault, but Lotus, uh, Lotus yeah. a couple of years ago, that um, that's that progress and that development is kind of tapered off over the past season or two. And what I've seen so far for, through the first uh, three races of the season hasn't been overly inspiring from them. Uh, so well, I let, hope that let. they can turn it around and and start delivering some results because they got two good drivers let's be fair and they get a very high budget and for yes. the amount of money that they are spending it's like mclaren there's no reason why they should not get better result right now the amount of money and investment and development and and infrastructure that renault is putting into their team and it's still going on they're still growing they're still adding new staff and employees and getting more people to do the job and getting more specific in their their task and it's growing still and it's still a project in progress i would say but it should see better result with the amount of money and that's why there's people from head office of renault that have been present in race weekends this year to evaluate the the investment and maybe uh, the future of Renault in Formula One because they may not make it to their, their their final five years of their plan and they might pull the plug before who knows and they do need results fast because it's going to be quite a battle because you have teams with a lot less budget like Haas showing that you don't need to invest and develop and and do crazy things like Renault wants by developing everything themselves and selling everything. So I think it, it's an interesting aspect because you see results that are similar from teams of total different backgrounds and different budget and different size of staff and different mentality. So that's why the midfield, it's where it's at for me right now because I see teams like McLaren who are showing progress but that are still lacking a bit of pace. You're seeing Racing Point that are showing that the last few years were not a fluke but still not at their full potential. And you see a Haas that with a small team, small budget, different mentality, just make it work and race and you're showing the potential there. So, no, uh, it's going to be a great, great race. And Renault, their goal is to finish fourth. We all know that because of Drive to Survive last year. And right now, they're not looking to finish eighth. So, <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Yeah, they they certainly have um, a lot of work uh, to do there. And especially, like you say, they have a big budget. But compared to last year, they have an increased budget. So, they're certainly not getting uh, their 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 bang for the buck, and uh, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the, uh, the 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 midfield in Formula One, and we'll do so after we step away briefly for the final break of the show. We'll be right back. 
All right, Kevin, you made a couple of good points there just uh, b- before the break, and it is a very interesting battle in the midfield, and it's it's been completely different in all three races uh, so far. Uh, we, we talked about Renault just before the break. Uh, you also talked about Haas and racing points. Haas is interesting because they look pretty good in Australia, even though that uh, Grosjean retired towards the end of the race. Not so good in Bahrain last weekend. And then uh, this week, Grosjean finishes just outside of the points in uh, P11. And uh, K-Mag finishes in uh, P13. Now they're saying they're having some uh, fundamental problems with the car this year, just keeping and getting warmth into the tires. And, of course, if those tires aren't uh, operating or, or working at that uh, uh, that that sweet spot with the tire temperatures, they're, they're not going to have the grip that they need. So they got that to sort out. And then... Just going back to uh, what you were saying about McLaren and McLaren, they were disappointing this past uh, weekend because uh, Carlos Sainz finished in 14th and Lando Norris uh, finished in 18th. He was the, uh, well, he was uh, actually uh, didn't finish in the end, but uh, that is, um, it's it's a bit of a setback. I mean, obviously, uh, Carlos Sainz had uh, an engine blow on him in in Australia and he was looking fairly pacey in Bahrain until he had uh, that coming together with uh, Max Verstappen. But still, th- there were some positive signs uh, through the first uh, two races of the season that even though it doesn't look like, obviously, they're there to win races or even challenge for podiums yet, it seemed like it was forward progress. It looked like things were starting to, s- at least in a very small window, that uh, things were going better for McLaren in this past weekend. Uh, very, very disappointing. Now, racing points uh, is interesting because you look at the. Uh, let's just quickly go down the, uh, the 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 finishing, the final classification. <laughs> in China, you had Lewis uh, Hamilton was the winner, Bottas in P two, then uh, Sebastian Vettel in uh, P three, Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, Pierre Gasly in sixth, and then basically everybody else. So you had Ricardo in seventh, and then Sergio Perez in the first of the Force Indias in P8 uh, in front of Kimi Raikkonen and then Alexander Albon in the uh, Toro Rosso. He's been a pleasant surprise. I think he's had a couple of very good uh, races so far. And then you have uh, Roman Grosjean in P11 and then Lance Stroll in the second uh, racing point in in P12. And Lance, I think right now, is falling well short of uh, measuring up to his own teammate. Uh, he, the, the past couple of races, he hasn't made it uh, out of Q1. <laughs> Excuse me, finishing towards the back. I mean, he finished uh, strong in Australia, but certainly Bahrain and uh, and uh, and China last weekend were not so uh, not so good for him. But I thought the, that that uh, P8 for Sergio Perez was a very very solid finish, uh, considering he finished in front of uh, Kimi Raikkonen. In the uh, that somewhat better funded and supported uh, Alfa Romeo yeah. Ferrari, so I think that's that that is a very very tidy and very nice piece of uh, business by Sergio Perez, and uh, we all know why. It, I mean, it, it goes on, uh, or, or these uh, suspicions or or opinions are strengthened each and every race and each and every year. But when you see that uh, that Stroll is several positions behind his teammate. Kind of lends, uh, kind of begs to ask that question. Well, if uh, if Lance wasn't there and Ocon was still uh, driving in in the Force India, where would have he been in relation to Sergio Perez? Because I mean, if Perez can finish in eighth uh, position, I think that Ocon probably would have been pretty close to him as well. Yeah, like nine, <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably, or seven. <laughs> yeah, I but, I agree. Yeah. Uh, but uh, one name you mentioned is fascinating this year too is Alexander Alban. For Toro Rosso. I think he's showing he's got a great potential. Yeah. And I think he's one of the drivers that we were not expecting to to come this year. And he's uh, the, the new proud crown jewel of the Red Bull Development Academy, I think. And I think he's the future Max Verstappen teammate. Well, yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, the, the way... And I find it kind of... Uh, baffling when you think about it when when you have a, an organization like Red Bull that obviously has the resources to uh, run two teams in, in in Formula 1 I know that that uh, Toro Rosso is their own entity with own budgets and everything I mean they they all fall under that that that, that same flag and uh, of uh, of Red Bull and uh, Toro Rosso is very much in that pipeline of their 
academy system that uh, the, these guys that are good enough can kind of percolate up through the Red Bull Academy into uh, into Formula One, and then uh, eventually the guys that are the best, of the cream of the crop, can uh, end up driving for the for the jewel in the crown of uh, Red Bull Racing themselves. But I found it rather baffling, like I say, that last year they found themselves with uh, drivers that just did not have enough points uh, to to earn or be granted their super license. And they had to go back and 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 uh, and re-engage Daniel Kvyat, who was pretty unceremoniously, I would say, booted out. But I mean, he was just basically severed ties with after a couple of uh, you know quite uh, mixed and dramatic moments at time. Uh, you know, the, these incidents when he was with both with Toro Rosso and even briefly with the with the the, the Red Bull team themselves. And then found himself as a basically a, de- a development driver for for Ferrari. So that was kind of um, a strange situation how he came back into the team. And when they it came to the announcement that they'd uh, signed Alexander Albon, I really didn't know a lot about the guy. I'll be a hundred percent honest with you, but to see what he's done through the first uh, couple of races of the year and the fact that he's already amassed uh, three world championship points, I think is really really. Uh, a, a good achievement uh, for for this fellow, and uh, I certainly look forward to see what uh, what he can do for the rest of the year. I mean, we we've seen at times at certain tracks that the uh, that the Toro Rosso can be uh, quite uh, competitive and quite pacey, but to to amass the points that he has over the first uh, couple of races, I think is uh, really quite remarkable, and I think uh, makes him look uh, pretty good. Yep, and we'll see. How they do in Baku too, because uh, I do expect some carnage at some point in the next race. I don't know if it's going to be at the start or not. So when you see carnage, it means opportunities for teams that are not usually yep. in the points to be in the points. And this could be Toro Rosso. It could be Raikkonen and Alfa Romeo. It could be McLaren, uh, maybe McLaren having an easier shot at points. It could be Renault finally having a two cars and the points if reliability comes and uh, i think that's gonna happen but i think we need to finish the show mark by talking about williams and how mm. uh, it's almost uh it's, it's embarrassing at this point they're not quick enough they're not good enough uh <laughs> the drivers cannot even do the 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 warm-up lap without crashing or, <laughs> or doing a <laughs> spin and I think uh, when the drivers themselves say, I felt like I was sitting still when the other cars were passing me by. Yeah, that, that's something. Yeah, well, you have uh, George Russell saying that uh, he felt like he was stood still when the other cars were, were passing him. And then uh, Robert Kubica was saying that spinning on the formation lap was the highlight of his uh, of, of his Grand Prix. I mean, it is just... I mean, it's just brutal, really, when you see where, where where they are right now, and just again how fundamentally bad that this uh, th- this car is, and just how uncompetitive it is, and it it, it just blows my mind. I mean, I always equated uh, Williams with uh, with excellence and uh, and the competitive and um, potentially world championship for winning cars. I mean, that kind of goes back to to when I was a kid and. And and they were one of the best of the best. And you go into the '90s, and they had some good cars. They had Alain Prost driving for them. They they won championships with uh, with Damon Hill and Jacques Villeneuve, and even into the early 2000s. Even though they they, they weren't winning world championships, they were still r- winning races occasionally with uh, with the likes of Ralph Schumacher and uh, Juan Pablo Montoya. Yeah, the BMW era and uh, that that time period in the 2000s yeah. where they created very good cars for for the budget they had and yep. and now they just become yeah they've become the, the the back of the grid they they are literally the back of the, they're, they're they're back markers they yep. are literal back markers on the track well well even uh you know even if you look at it <clears throat> from uh from another point of view is that just just even in the space of a couple of years, they were the best of the rest, not really all that long ago, even though you still it's still at Ferrari and Mercedes, the top two teams, and then yeah. Red Bull just behind them. They were that sort of fourth <laughs> place team. They were that Renault team. And the way that they've dropped to like a stone through the order, 
just absolutely is, uh, I, I just don't get it. I mean, you look, for example, in, in Q1 this past weekend, uh, you had uh, George Russell and uh, Robert Kubica. They both had very similar times. So so Russell's fastest time in Q1 was a 135.253. Kubica's time was a 135.281. So pretty much uh, identical. You compare that to uh, Valtteri Bottas's uh, uh, fastest time in Q1. He had a 132.658. Hamilton had a 133.115, and Sebastian Vettel had a 133.557. I mean, they're 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 over two seconds a lap slower. Uh, I mean, it's uh, absolutely amazing, and just that's the car at it, its best, right? That that's the Williams yeah. at its best. And the Mercs, and it's okay, not dialed up to 10 because it's not Q3 yet. So that tells well, you a exactly. lot. Well, exactly. I mean, you, you look at the, uh, the the times that were set in Q3, Bottas is a 131.51, sorry, 547. Lewis set a 131.570. And Sebastian Vettel's a 131.848. I mean, the first four guys are all under the 132 mark and Max Verstappen in, uh, in who finished 5th qualified in 5th his Q3 time was a 132.089 so i mean those first five guys i mean they're all at 132 or just under i mean they're they're still over two and a quarter seconds a lap faster than the uh, than than the Williams and i mean it just really I, I just it, it blows my mind. I mean, that's the, about the only way that I can put it. And 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 I keep thinking back to one of the moments, and there, there's many of them in the uh, the F1 Drive to Survive series that really stand out for me. One of them is uh, when they uh, they have this sort of pre-race meeting at uh, the the Williams factory, and they have like this big auditorium that's basically filled with hundreds of people. And you have up on the podium, you yeah. have. Uh, Patty Lowe, you have Claire Williams. I think Ross Smedley was there, but I mean, you've got the big wigs in the team up there, sort of talking about uh, you know their game plan for the race ahead and everything like that. And th- this auditorium, for lack of a better word, is basically standing room only because there's this one camera angle that shoots from the, the the front of the room to the back, and there's people lining the wall at the back. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And then you go to the, the the series later, or sorry, the episode later in the series that that talks a lot about the uh, the, the issues that uh, Racing Point Force India went through last year, and the whole saga with uh, the, the the legal uh, problems that Vijay Malia was having, and then eventually how they went into uh, administration, and then you know Lauren Stroll and his uh, group came along, bought it up. But it was so different when they were at the the, the Racing Point uh, factory. And you have Otmar Safnauer there standing there with the representative from the, uh, the 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 administrator, whatever they call him. And it's basically just this one small room. It looks no different, really, than uh, <clears throat> the office where I work at. And they're sort of basically talking about things. And it, it's not flashy. It's not pretty. It, it, it's very functional. And there's a fraction of the amount of people, and I'm just thinking, you know, it's night and day. I mean, what uh, what Racing Points achieved in less than half a season after they uh, they they had all their points removed after the takeover, it was 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 night and day. I mean, compared to what Williams did an entire year last year, uh, I mean, they didn't even hit double digits for points. And I think uh, Force India, or sorry, Racing Point at that point, uh, pretty much started earning back the points that they had to forfeit. In the, in that last half of the 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 the, uh, the, the season, and I mean the, the 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 difference between the two, just in in, in finances and 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 opportunities and results, it uh, like I say, it, it just blows my mind. I mean, I, I know it sounds cliche, and I, I know it sounds hackneyed, but that's the the, the only way I can describe what is a, a really for me an incomprehensible situation. The waste of resources, the waste of yeah. talent. I think it's 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 incredible, and it's it's, it's unfortunate. Sad. It's really it's sad. sad. It's sad because now, if it continues, Mark Williams might disappear. It might lose its sponsors. It might run out of fund to just exist. And Williams, one of the most storied team in the history of Formula One, would have been another victim of the times and of money. And uh, the obligation of results. 
and it would have been a fall from grace. Mark, the year before we started this show, yep. I think it's our fourth season, and Correct. the year before was when uh, Williams was the fourth best team with Bottas and Massa. So that's not that long ago. And during our entirety of our back catalog of Scooter F1, it's literally, we're, we're, it's the chronicles of the downfall of Williams, basically. <laughs> and they yeah. hit rock bottom. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is so true. I mean, you go back to 2014, for example. You, I'm, I'm just looking at the constructors' cha- standings right now. He had Mercedes on top by a mile, obviously. They had 701 points between Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg that year. Uh, in second in the constructors' uh, championship was uh, Red Bull uh, with uh, Sebastian Vettel and uh, Danny Ricardo. Third in 2014, only five years ago was Williams, Williams Mercedes, 320 points. And they were well ahead of uh, Ferrari, who had 216 points that year. And, uh, I mean, you, you fast forward to 2017, 2018, now 2019, just how, how they're just, uh, they, they've dropped off in such a small amount of time. I mean, again, 2015, they were third in the, in the, the Constructors' Championship. Uh, Mercedes and uh, Ferrari were on top that year. And uh, there, there was quite a difference between Ferrari and uh, Williams. But, I mean, Ferrari had 428 points in the Constructors' Championship in uh, 2015. Williams had 257. I mean, that, that says it all right there. And then uh, beyond 2016 is when it uh, really started. Uh, I think slowly the things started to change because all of a sudden in, in 2016, you have Mercedes on top, Red Bull, Ferrari, and then uh, they were fifth behind uh, Force India that year. And in, in, in 2016, they've already dropped from 250-something points, like, like I said just now, in 138. So it's happened quickly and it's happened brutally. And unfortunately, I mean, the way that they've uh, just done things is that they've almost been the architects of their own downfall. Because, I mean, when you design basically back-to-back cars that are just fundamentally wrong and just uh, are, are that uncompetitive. I mean, that's not lack of uh, finances. That's just lack that that's just poor application and, yeah. and, and, and poor design. I mean, that's, it's just bad engineering. That's basically what it comes down to. You're just not doing what you need to do regardless of uh, your budget. Because I mean, obviously the more money you spend, the more you're, in, in theory, you should be able to be, to be more competitive. I mean, you look at the vast amount of resources Ferrari and Mercedes are putting in, but you take the the, the racing points of the world and what they've done. You know, they they've gotten a lot more for less over years. And you look at uh, uh, Williams, even though that they don't have the hugest budget in the, in the in the world, they are sadly really falling short of the mark. No, I I agree, and I think it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, if they ever turn it around, uh, because I think that's that's the danger now. And once one or two of your design of cars, two years in a row, your car is bad, you lose all points of references to what a good car is supposed to be. And yep. uh, I think that's exactly what it is. Williams have no reference point of what it is to have a good car. And it's going to take a while for them to find it out. Yeah, if they could ever find it out, right? Exactly. And, uh, yeah, sorry about that. And uh, on that sad note, I think uh, we will wrap it up here for this week. And uh, thank you so very much uh, for listening uh, to us here. And if you want to do us a, a big favor, if you enjoy listening to this show and want to help us grow, one of the best things and easiest things you can do is uh, leave a, a five-star rating or review on the, uh, the, the podcast platform of your choice. And we certainly would uh, appreciate that. And on behalf of myself and my co-host, Kevin Laramie, thank you so very much for listening. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at Scuderia F1 Pod or email us at Scuderia F1 Pod at gmail.com. And that's a wrap. Thank you so very much for listening. And we'll talk to you again this time next week. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.